This is the Benchwarmers Podcast, the greatest f***ing podcast on the planet. You're listening to the Benchwarmers Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for more sports and banter. Benchwarmers, get closer to the action. You're listening to the Benchwarmers Podcast. Chat shit, get banged. Welcome to the Benchwarmers Podcast. Uh, today we're going to discuss football. We're going to talk about the Champions League final. We're also going to talk about some quality international friendlies, which is always very, very interesting. We'll talk rugby about the Pro 12 victory for Connacht. We'll also discuss Saracens. They have won the English Premiership. And we'll talk a little bit about the international scene as well with England defeating Wales. We'll also talk about boxing. Um, Aidan O'Sullivan is my name. I am joined in studio today by Neville O'Donoghue. How are you doing, Neville? Good, Aidan. First of all, though, we have a really, really good interview. We're going to talk to Stephen Housen. And Stephen runs Full-Time Devils, which is all about Manchester United. Oh, mainly Full-Time Devils, but I've, uh, I've got my own... YouTube channel, if you prefer waffling and stuff like that, and a little bit longer than the stuff you see on Full Time Devils, just search Stephen Housen on YouTube, I'm sure you'll find it. Yeah, no, it's, it's we, yeah, I think we're already subscribed to ourselves on the Benchwarmers channel, it's uh, it's very good, but down to business anyway, I suppose we're going to talk about, you finally got your man, Mourinho, and I remember talking to you a few weeks ago, you were, you were a bit hesitant about Mourinho, but are you happy with the appointment? I'm hesitant regardless because I don't think there's a man alive that's not a risk in some way, shape or form. Even Sir Alex coming back would be a risk. Would he be the same man that he was previously? Would he have the fear factor? Would he have the desire? So there's there's not anyone that comes risk-free. For me, there was no standout candidate, including Mourinho. He's probably the best of the bunch if I'm, if I'm looking at it in a cold fact today. But I think every single person had positive and negative aspects about them about their character, about their history. You, know, you look at Ryan Giggs and you go all romantic about it and you go, well, the fact of the matter is in a cold light of day he doesn't have the experience. And you look at Mourinho and you go, well, the fact of the matter is he's not proven with youth. He's, he's got question marks over his antics. Even Guardiola, there was question marks on can he build a side? He, he's able to take top sides to the next level, arguably. Um, but can he ever do it with a side that needs rebuilding? We're about to find that out because that City side definitely needs a bit of surgery on it. So whoever you wanted to go for, and I include Simeone and I, include everyone that's been thrown in the hat, nobody is the absolute, yes, it's got to be him. Uh, And some people will argue because some people will be like, no, it should have been Mourinho when Fergie left. Personally, I wanted Mourinho when Fergie left because I thought he would have got Fergie out of our hair so fast because he would have just been... He probably would have kept us successful, but he would have been gone by now. Uh, I think we all know that. So it's, I'm excited, but I'm, opt- I'm cautiously optimistic. Is it up to uh, Mourinho now to build a dynasty there again? Because as you, as you mentioned, he is a top quality manager. He's got a 66% uh, win percentage, which is the best in Premier League history. So he is a winner. You've mentioned, okay, maybe perhaps he's not the best with youth, but is his remit not only to bring short-term success, but to also maybe build a dynasty and for long-term success as well? I would hope it is. There's obviously, we've not been privy to the conversations he's had with the, the board and the Glazers and stuff like that, but I would hope it's the ambition of any manager taking over any club, and not just Manchester United, that they go, I'm going to be here for 10 years. Now, the average life expectancy of any manager in English football is around about 10 months. So... People are not staying for 10 years, but you should always take over the job with the best intention. So he should be taking over the job thinking he's going to be a dynasty. Is he going to do 27 years? No, never doing 27 years. I mean, you think he's too old 
to start that sort of thing himself now anyway. But I think he should go into it thinking that this is a decade at least, rather than the three, four years, even two, three year cycle that we're used to seeing him. And if he does manage to stay for a decade, then I imagine he will be hyper successful in that 10 years because he only bounces if it goes wrong. So if he's here for 10 years, I would expect it to be as trophy laden as the 90s was for us. Yeah, he definitely divides opinion anyway. But um, I suppose it's just interesting, listen, former legends, Eric Cantona probably isn't his biggest fan. But just, I suppose, one of the biggest concerns everyone has with Mourinho is how he deals with youth. And especially when you look at, you got a good player there, and uh, Marcus Rashford, he looks like he's probably heading to the Euros. Do you think Mourinho will surely be under pressure to keep playing the youth and have the policy that Man United have, Stephen? pressure at the other clubs that he's managed, um, particularly Chelsea and Real Madrid, was to deliver a Champions League. Yeah. Uh, I think that was the main remit of his job. When it comes to Manchester United, he's also got to win the Champions League, but he needs to win the Premier League. He probably needs to win more FA Cups, and he's also got to play youth. Oh, and he better make sure we score loads of goals as well. Yeah. There's so many different factors to this job as Manchester United manager that you've got to appease. Uh, I think... The pressure, he, he's got to be well aware of it. He's not an idiot. He's not a stupid man. This love letter that he wrote, the papers were saying it was a six-page love letter. I've heard it was more like a ten-page love letter. So I'm sure there's a paragraph within there somewhere which states, I'm aware of the academy and the pressures that come with being the Manchester United manager. And even if he's just said that he, he's going to honour the academy and the youth system and stuff like that, I think, as I was saying a second ago, he will start the job off with the right intentions it's whether he's able to trust in them lads afterwards because he does seem to make scapegoats out of players pretty quickly if they um, if they don't perform for him is there um, is there much of a repair job to do there um, Stephen from the time with David Moyes through to the time with Van Gaal now does he have to G these players up if there, is there a lot of players going out and a lot of players coming in well, I think over the last three years, there's been a hell of a lot. If you look at the squad photo from the team that won the, the last title, it's only three seasons ago. But if you look at the transformation of the squad in there, what's what's left? Carrick, possibly, but maybe not. Rooney, who there's whispers that he may be either in his last season or about to leave himself. You've got David De Gea, who may or may not be here come September. You've got Phil Jones, who many think needs to go. So what's left from him... The, Chris Smalling, is that it? Is that basically all we've got left from the Fergie time at the club, which is, is mad to think about. So we've had a massive transformation. Last summer we saw a whole host of players join. It shouldn't be as big this summer. I think three, four players and a little bit more settling in from players that we saw last year. And I think the likes of Schneidlin, in Memphis and even Schweinsteiger have still got a future at the club and in this team. I don't think it's massive repairs but there, there's definitely a need to bring in at least one, maybe two, genuine, world-class, top-of-their-game players. Not someone for the future, not someone that's past it, but someone who's ready to go right now. And Mourinho, to be fair, does have a bit of a track record with that world-class player. Just just to have a look back, I suppose, on the last three years, uh, I suppose they kind of went around in circles, really, and I suppose Mourinho got the job. But just two questions, I suppose, and that, Stephen, is... Uh, can you sum up tell us what you thought of Van Gaal's time was it a failure I suppose it was but at least he got his FA Cup and then the second question is um, would you like to see Mourinho just given the job in the first place straight after Fergie 
answer the second one first. I, I did think Mourinho should have been the guy after Fergie, but only because I thought he would only be here for three years. And I thought if we got Mourinho in, he keeps us successful. It all crashes and burns like it always does with, with Mourinho. And then we moved on to whoever was going to be. Because it was always that sort of uh, theory about the poison chalice. Sorry, don't be the guy after Fergie. But I thought Mourinho would have been one of the few people in the world that could have handled being that immediate appointment after Fergie. We've obviously gone down the road of having um, Moyes and then Giggs temporarily and, and now Van Gaal. Van Gaal's reign was a failure. I thought there was definitely some developments. I mean, how good the defence has been under his time, which I think is also a symptom of how poorly we played in the final third. If we'd have just managed to score more goals, the league was there for the taking this year. So despite the fact that we finished fifth after coming fourth, I, I still thought there was progression. But I can't argue for seeing him kept on, really. I don't think it would have been the worst idea in the world because there seemed to be a three-year plan with him. He was always here for a three-year plan. So there were signs that we saw in the pre-season games where the players played with a lot of freedom. Now, I know it's only pre-season, but we did see on both the pre-season tours, United played with this just want and abandon and we tore teams to pieces. I thought that there may have been some sort of drive towards getting us to play that way in his final year because we changed formation and style of play even though when you look at the season as a whole you go oh we just didn't create enough goals we actually did make small adjustments to our play throughout the two years he was here about every three or four months uh, we that were going from three at the back to four three three to four two three one there, there were slight iterations of it every time uh, every you know every quarter would you say and I thought that given another summer and another couple of signings then we might have seen something I know we let a lot of people go last year and uh, the manager gets the blame for that, but I'm not I'm not thinking that the Glazers are getting off scot-free with this because the wage bill was slashed by 46%. That smacks to me of some boardroom-level stuff where they've gone, you need to get rid of most of these players. And Van Gaal's probably carried the can a little bit for that. But the football was turgid. It was uh, it was hella frustrating to watch. I don't know how many, how many nil-nil half-times I saw at Old Trafford this season, which isn't Manchester United. But we, you know, we have to be allowed to go through a transitional period when we when we uh, lose the greatest manager of all time. What about the backroom uh, team now that he's going to need as well? Um, talks of Ryan Giggs perhaps staying with the club, but in a different role. Gary Neville's name has been mentioned. Rio Ferdinand's names have been mentioned. Do you think maybe he needs a former United player to come into that backroom team? I'm torn. If they've got a specific job to do and they're the right man for it, then yeah, give them the job. Uh, there's also the sentimental side of me which says you know, the, the connection with the former glories is a good thing but then I also look at the problems that Liverpool had in the early 90s and the boot room seemed to be the source of a lot of that uh, rather than the, the source of a lot of positive things for Liverpool and I think that's why they've ended up going on the run that they've gone on I, I, I'm torn, I'm massively torn I think Ryan Giggs even needs to take the under 18s job which is I believe on offer for him right now or he needs to go to a championship club I don't think he should go to a Premier League club because there's going to be no success for anybody in the Premier League this year or this season coming there's 10 amazingly top level managers in there so if you're a new manager I'd, I'd avoid it at all costs this season there's going to be some serious managerial casualties if he goes to the championship proves himself as someone you know he ends up in a playoff spot next season there'll be a Premier League team I'm sure that wants to take a chance on him if he gets moderate success with a Premier League team, the clamour for him to be the next night manager will be enormous. 
And I think that would have been the best thing to, for Ryan Giggs to do. Otherwise, stay with the 18s, inspire the next generation, the, the class of 2017, the class of 2018, whatever it's going to be. Next year's under-18 team, we have done a lot of buying for. It's almost like a Galacticos under-18 side. I would love to see Ryan Giggs at, at the helm of that. You know, who better to inspire these 17 and 16-year-old lads than a guy that's done it at that club that they're at? So anything he says they're going to take on board, they're going to trust him implicitly. And I think it'd be, it'd be great for us to see what sort of formation he's going to be playing, how he likes to attack, all that sort of stuff. I think there'll still be question marks over whether he would be good enough to take over the United job on the, on the back of that, because it is fairly uncompetitive under 18 still. But there'd be more clamour and it'd make more sense on the back of him doing that than it would just right now where, you know, what has he done? He's sat on the bench next to Van Gaal playing Sudoku. That's not going to get him anything, is it? So at least Gary Neville's gone out and took a chance with Valencia. Whether it's Giggs, Neville, even Scholes or Rio Ferdinand, they've won everything they've got to win in the game. They need to now start at the bottom again like they did when they was apprentices at United and serve an apprenticeship as a coach somewhere. You can't just expect to be given top managerial jobs because of what you did as a player. It's chalk and cheese. It's not the same industry. I want to ask you, Stephen, about uh, Marcus Rashford. Uh, young kid, 18 years of age. It's been an unbelievable six months for him. How good is he and how good do you think he can become? It's an unbelievable three months, not, not six months. Uh, six months ago, I watched him. In fact, was it December? I think it was December. I watched him and Fosu Mansa get beat 5-1 by Chelsea in the FA Youth Cup at Altrincham. It was freezing. It was a three-bovril night. That's how cold it was. And he, he wasn't he wasn't impressive. Um, he didn't have an impressive under-18s campaign. Scored a few goals. Uh, I've written about him on my own blog probably around Christmas, where I said the uh, I, I think I called the article the class of 2016, and I spoke about um, Tuanzebe and Gribbin, Fosu Mensah and Rashford. And the one line that sticks out that I wrote back then was. I love his energy, I love his determination. He plays angry, which I like. I think there's, there's far too much of that aggression coached out of academy players. It's evident in Rashford, which I think is one of the main attributes of his game, is, is a little warrior. And the, the line that I wrote about him was, at the moment he lacks composure and he lacks that finish. If he finds that, it's game over. And then if you look at the finishes that he's had since he's come into the first team, the one against West Ham, the one against City, even his England goal the other night, the composure has been found. I think I actually seen him at Altrincham um, after he'd made his debut and after he'd scored against Arsenal. And I said, how nervous was you making the debut? And he said, I wasn't nervous. And Joe, sometimes you listen to someone and you go, oh, that's just bravado. But I actually believed him when he said he wasn't nervous. I think he's just ultra level-headed. And Is he going to be world-class? Uh, I'm not too sure, but I think it's definitely a place in and around this squad for him. And he's a game-changing player because of the energy and the desire and the determination that he's got. Just, he's, like an, he's like a pit bull, isn't he? He's just relentless. And I think if you're, a game's gone flat, I think he's a good option to turn to, to throw up as a number nine and see what he can do. Because I think, in fact, there's another game, another, I think it might have been a 21s game. I think it was QPR. They played Rashford on the left. Joe Riley was playing on the left as well. And the two of them are very similar in the way they play. And the right-back was having a mare with them because every time he got in possession, the two of them just chased him down. And in the end, this guy was just booting it out into touch. He couldn't deal with them. And I think that sort of pressure, Premier League defences aren't used to that at the moment. There's nobody doing that. Everyone just allows them to have the ball. Marcus has come in and changed the game. And it's wonderful to see. 93 days and he's gone from who's he to, you know, he's probably going to the Euros. And 
Do you know what? I would completely expect him to score in a in a knockout game in the Euros for England, the way the season's gone for him. From someone who is starting off his career at United to someone who's been there for a few years, Wayne Rooney seems to be playing in that midfield berth now. Does that suit him better, do you think? As a number 10, I think Rooney's great. I think he's got good vision. He plays um, facing the goal, and I think that's where you get the best Wayne Rooney. One of his best attributes is that long shot, which we haven't really seen a lot of this year, to be honest. I think as a number nine, I think he's, he's not got the agility that he used to have. Um, I don't think he's out of shape by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I definitely think he's lost that acceleration and aggression that he used to have when he was a young player. So I think it, it just suits his game better. I know he likes spraying these balls out, but he's, he's not no Paul Scholes, is he? But I think he can definitely do a job there as a number 10. If we go 4-2-3-1 again with Mourinho next season, I would definitely rather see Rooney in the 10 especially if it was a choice of him playing at 9 or 10. Um, he could probably do a job there for England this summer as well, because we all know he's going to start, isn't he? I just hope it's in that deeper role with someone speedier playing off him. Well, we, we started uh, with the special one, and we're going to finish with the special one, Stephen. And just going back to him again, it's, it's so mouth-watering really to look up and see that he's going to be up against Pep Guardiola, he's going to be up against Klopp, he's going to be up against Conte at Chelsea, he's got a point to prove there. So it's a really, really exciting season for United fans. It's, it's going to be crazy. There's not enough success to go around for all of these big managers next year. You, know, you look at Ranieri, are they going to win the league next year? I wouldn't have thought so, but they're not probably going to drop any lower than sixth. I would be surprised if they did. You've got Tottenham, they've done great there with Pochettino. They're going to be in the mix. Wenger, if they signed a couple of players, you'd probably have to make them favourites for the league, I think. If they found if they found a real goal scorer like a Lukaku or someone like that, they'd be dangerous. City's got a great squad, but it's going to have to adapt to Pep Guardiola. So you would expect he's going to be challenging, if not champions. The same with ourselves. How was Thursday night's going to affect us? It might have a negative impact, but like I said, 66 win ratio, 66% win ratio in the Premier League. We're going to be challenging, if not champions. And then, like I said, Chelsea, they'll be better. Klopp and Liverpool look like they're going to be better. And then you've got people who no one's thinking of in the likes of West Ham and Southampton. You know, they've got two managers doing decent jobs there, so it's going to be so competitive next year. There's, there's eight teams in, a, in with a shout of thinking that they can get top four, probably five teams in with a shout thinking they can win it. I don't think we've ever had that in the Premier League era. Um, didn't just find you, Stephen, where'd we have you? Um, I suppose the Euros, I suppose we're looking at England, I suppose we here would be both hoping for uh, uh, Ireland and England Euro final and Ireland winner penalties. <laughs> How are England going to do? Uh, I'm a United fan. You should know this. We don't really care for England, do we? Right. Uh, I'm just hoping it's a good tournament. Yeah. I'm hoping everybody that we've got over there comes back with no injuries uh, and there's some good football played. Normally, tournament, tournament football, there's usually someone comes out a bit of a superstar, isn't it? We had James Rodriguez from the World Cup. Right. Uh, hopefully, someone lights it up in that sort of manner. I'm tipping France to win it because I think they've got the best 11 on paper. Normally, France sort of self-implode a little bit, don't they? But if they don't manage to self-implode, it's France's to lose, I reckon. All right. Thanks for that, Stephen. And just give us your YouTube channels again, Full-Time Devils, and where else can people get you? Full-Time Devils, um, Stephen Alson on YouTube, uh, and that's me. Okay. Thanks for that, Stephen. Well, Jose, congratulations. New Manchester United manager. How do you feel? I feel great. Um, well, uh... I think comes in in the right moment of my career because 
Man United is one of these clubs where um, you need really to be prepared for it because it's a, what I used to call a giant club. And giant clubs must be for the best managers. And I think, uh, I think I'm ready for it. So I could say I'm happy, I'm proud, I'm honored, I'm everything. But the reality is that what I love is to work and I cannot wait for 7th of July to go on the pitch. You've won trophies everywhere. What are your ambitions for Manchester United? I think we, we, we can look at, um, at our club now in, in, in two perspectives. Uh, one perspective is, is the past three years. And another perspective is the club history. I think I prefer to forget the past three years. I prefer to focus on on the giant club I, I have in my hands now. And I think what the fans are expecting me to say is that uh, I want to win. I think um, what the players they need to listen is uh, I want to win. And more than that, I need the supporters and the players to feel that I say that, but I think we can really. It's not just to, to, to say what I say. So yes, I want to focus on the history of this, of this giant club and give what I have and what I don't have. So I will give absolutely everything to try to go in the direction we all want. You seem to have had a good rapport with Manchester United fans when you've yeah. come back with Inter Milan, with Real Madrid, <laughs> with, with Chelsea, with the charity game. What's your message to United fans who'll be watching this eagerly now? You know, um, I think I, I know what they can give me. I think also they they know what I can give them. Obviously, the the most important thing are are, are the players and the relation the players establish with uh, with them. But I think is is very important and curious that I play so many times against Man United and I play so many times at Old Trafford with other clubs and um, was was empathy, uh, no problems and in fact I was pushed I was pushed by, by that by that feeling to say sometimes things that my clubs were not happy with. Uh, I remember for example when I won at Old Trafford with Real Madrid. I told that the best team lost, and not many people was happy at Real Madrid. Point of view, they're all fighting for it. Like there's not enough trophies to go around for yeah. these guys, is there? And uh, they all they all want to win. They all have a mandate to win, and it's really really interesting times. But you know, you know, he touched there on after Ferguson. Should they have appointed Mourinho? Then you know, it's very easy to say no that they should because the David yeah. Moyes experiment didn't work out. But, you know, I think Mourinho always wanted this job. This is the job that he coveted. Yeah. Now he's there. And now he's given a chance to see if he could succeed. So yeah. it's going to be really, really interesting. No, definitely. Uh, now, one thing on, uh, on um, Jose's remit is to win the Champions League. But he can't do it this year because Real Madrid are the champions uh, of Europe. They are at the pinnacle. And did they deserve it, Neville? They did. I thought in the first half, I thought they were going to blow Atletico off the pitch. You know, I think Atletico played a system... <clears throat> They've been playing a system all year and it worked from against Bayern Munich, it worked from against Barcelona. I still think, now maybe Bayern didn't because they played in the semi final, Barcelona played in the quarters, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. I still think Barcelona probably underestimated them a small bit. They probably thought they'd still get the better of them. And I think Bayern, they just got tactically outdone. And I don't think Bayern are as good as Barcelona. I think Madrid then, they just did their homework. And to be fair, in the first half, 
if you did the position stats, I'd say Real Madrid were way ahead of them, right? You know, mm-hmm. and um, but it's it was definitely it was whether it was good or not, it was definitely intriguing and it was a right good battle to watch. You know, even you could see Ronaldo and Bale and all these fellas. I, I think they've they've ten days off now till the Euros. If I was them. I wouldn't do any bit of training because they, <laughs> they need a break. They must be flat after that. But was, was Ronaldo injured? You know, strong um, uh, rumours coming out that he, he suffered a thigh injury, I think, on Tuesday uh, in training and that he just wasn't 100%. It wasn't his best match for real, has no, he was. He was definitely injured. But sure, when um, <laughs> a player like Ronaldo, even if he's on one leg, he's still going to <laughs> be a lot better than other players. So <laughs> you still have to play him. But um, he was definitely carrying an injury. Awarding um, Gareth Bale as well. I think um, he's obviously. I remember the, the rumors going around that he was going to come to United at one stage. You know, would he? Would, no way in hell would he come back to come to United. That's it. But what if you remember the Champions League final? Was it three years ago? Was it, it was twenty thirteen or fourteen? Same again, same matchup against Atletico. I thought he was better three uh, in that Champions League final. You know, I think they they they're saying that Garbell they bought him into to replace Ronaldo. You know, but I don't think. I thought he was very good now, don't get me wrong, I think he's been, but I think has, I think he's come back to small bit, like, you know, our defence is after Cotton and from Perhaps, but it's been an unbelievable three years for him out there, you know, he, he yeah. wanted to go out there, he wanted to move, and now he's like a two-time European champion. I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the Euros for Wales, because we see him in Madrid in the Champions League, but, you know, I suppose for us being Irish here, we wouldn't really get to watch Wales that much, like you know. And I'm looking forward to seeing him being the main man in Wales. Because I was watching a few clips there today on Sky Sports of uh, it was did they, they beat Belgium was it or did I think they beat him and it was him singing handily. I think he had two goals on the night. Could be wrong though, but uh, you know it's no mean beat beating Belgium, you know. And I'm really looking forward to him with Wales. But back to the Champions League, it was uh, yeah he he did have a good game. One thing with Bale and Ronaldo. They are the modern day footballers, you know. Like people say, thankfully we still have like some Messi, the small little genius, you know. But Bale and Ronaldo, uh, big, strong, fast, powerful, you know. That's what modern day football is now, nearly. Yeah. Looking at you just mentioned Wales there. He scored seven out of Wales' eleven goals in qualifying. Yeah. That's uh, over sixty-three percent of the Welsh goals he I scored know, himself. To be fair, I will. I know everyone has a laugh about. Wales being a one-man team, but they're not, you know, no. Wales' defence is very good as well in that tournament, and, you know, they do got uh, the Joe Allen, you know, Brendan Rodgers is favourite, the Welsh Chevy, as you call them, and they do got, uh, <laughs> they do got Ramsey as well, don't they? So yeah. the Wales do still have a good team. Yeah, uh, they have a very good team. Looking back at the Champions League, Atletico Madrid just didn't happen for them again, and no. you saw you saw the pain in the players' eyes, you saw the supporters, it was just heartbreaking for I, them I again. put up a tweet on Saturday night, the year of the fairy tales, uh, Leicester winning the league, yeah. Connacht winning the Pro 12, yeah. and they were the third one I wanted to see win, but unfortunately, but you see, the big question is as well, where does Simeone go, for, go from here? Because he's proved that he's a top-notch manager. He got absolutely ravaged with players being taken away from him again last summer in the transfer. He lost a few to Barcelona, and, the other, and he's probably going to lose a few again this year. Like, you know? So you'd wonder... Simeone really has to, I suppose what, a lot of, I suppose, just the great thing about, it is a long season, you know, it's a never-ending treadmill, it really is, and you really got to go away and enjoy your few weeks off, and then you got to have a think about it on your few weeks, but if I was Simeone, I'd be having a long, hard think, and going, you know, 
should I have taken the Chelsea job when I was on Because maybe he's got them so far and it's maybe yeah, time to move on now. I, I, I think so. But, you know, I suppose Atletico is his club. He's very passionate about him. But the question is, will Atletico be ever up there with the big boys? Well, they are at the moment, but will they sustain that long term? It's another thing, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't know. One player that he probably will lose, or may lose, is, uh, is Griezmann. Now, he missed a pen, but yeah. he was, you know, he's a quality player, isn't he? He is, yeah. No, it was, the penalty was, look, that happens, like, you know, it, it's funny how on the big stage, the goal can get that bit smaller, you yeah. know, but he's a quality player, and uh, yeah, they'll be doing everything they can to hold on to him. Yeah, but uh, Real Madrid are the champions, we saw them in the open top bus, and they've just done it again, and, uh, you know, what a night for Zidane as well when you think about you know he's taken over the club and he goes and wins the, the Champions League. Yeah, and look, Zidane, I was looking up, he's 43, so he's definitely got a, a long and exciting career ahead of him as a, as a football manager. But um, I think, um, yeah, I think Zidane, look, he's come in now in the last six months and he's done a great job. You know, people might say about Rafa this and Rafa that, but you know, Real Madrid, there are. They're, I wouldn't say they're a really nice club. They're very cutthroat, you know. If you're not performing, you're gone. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't think has any manager even done five years there. I don't know. But um, yeah, look, I think Zidane, he's he's done a great job. But next year will be the real test for him again, you know, because he came in and replaced Rafa and was there for six months. But next year he'll be he'll be really tested. But it, the two I put up a tweet as well of um, Ronaldo and Zidane, born winners, and the two of them really are born winners. Like if you remember Zidane quality player I think it was 10 years on since he what are we in 2016 that would have been 2003 that, I think that was 10 years on since he scored that famous goal the one in from the corner and he won the Champions League so you know if if he was told in 10 years time you're going to be manager and doing it for Madrid you wouldn't say no to that mm, certainly wouldn't say Madrid are the champions and Cristiano Ronaldo said after that he knew he was going to score the winner so that's confidence for you yeah. isn't well it? I like uh, Ronaldo gets a tough time but you know you like his confidence though, don't you? If you listen to Roy Keane, he was on ITV and he, he said he has a lot of time for Ronaldo, you know. I, I, I do like, I got a lot of time for Ronaldo too. You know, if you remember, this guy doesn't get tattoos either because he gives blood, you know. Because, you know, if you get a tattoo, you can't give blood for six months or a year. So, he is, Ronaldo, he does have a lot of, like we all know he loves himself, you know. <laughs> but he does, nah. yeah, he does have a lot of admirable traits in him, like, you know. And you can say what you want, but... He wants to be winner, you know, at all costs, and he is that, you know. Very good, he certainly is. So, from the pinnacle of European football to international friendlies, you love international friendlies. Yeah, I don't Never. think anyone likes international friendlies, but at least these ones, they they have they're interesting to watch because they're trying out players for the Euros and stuff. Looking at the Erling game now, I was very impressed with um, they analysed them on. I was watching it on Satanta. They analysed. They analysed uh, Arthur, was it? The, oh, yeah, Harry Arthur. Yeah, yeah. Harry Arthur, the Bournemouth uh, midfielder. He was very good the way he chased down and harried everything. I, like, me personally, I have been earning this, and I've been probably writing them off, right? But looking at Ireland, it's actually not a bad team, you know? I, I'm hoping they actually might. And one of my buddies told me I forgot this that it's not the top two gets out, or the top two gets out of the group, but also it's the tur- if you come toward best up, you have a chance as well. So, I think if they can get a win, if they can get a win in win, that group, they'd have a good chance of qualifying. Well, I still, it's a pity. It's a pity. I was hoping we'd have Belgium up first because we might get them on the hop. You know, get the best team on the hop. But you know, with Sweden up first, and we really dastardly able to get something out of it. We have, if we're going to win, we're probably going to 
it's out of them rightly. You know? Well, Sweden will be targeting us as well, won't they? You know, they, they will. Yeah. Yeah, see what I mean? So, so that's going to be a really, really good match. Yeah, you know. So uh, they drew one over Holland. I think two kind of scrappy goals. I think the first goal, goal. Shane Long, it was yeah. kind of toe poked in. Now the the goal for Holland really was um, your classic case of central defenders not marking the centre forward and he got a free header right between them. Your man got injured there, what's Clarkson, wasn't it? He's, he's out for the Euros. Uh, he's a massive blow for Ireland. Um, I think, um, I, I, like, if you look at John O'Shea, he's our main central defender. He got dropped for Sunderland towards the end of the year. You know, we don't have it. No, don't forget, we'll have Paul McShane and Julia right? He might be, but uh, we, don't, we don't have a defence. We're lacking there a bit in defence. Um, uh, uh, Duffy yeah. looks a player. Duffy looks a player. Yeah, he does, definitely. And as well, who are you going to start in goal as well? You know, like I suppose you're going to go with Randolph, like you know, but he he well he doesn't overall inspire me with confidence either, like you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, I suppose uh, would you still start giving? Is there an argument for that? No, I think I think Randolph's got the number one short. I think. And you Ford as well, who was playing like his club escape, wasn't he? He playing for Hull at the weekend, wasn't he? I think he he he's, he escaped, but he's he's playing on real stuff as well in the championship. So it's um. Interesting to see. The, the, the North had a good win over Belarus. They won 3 0. And uh, England beat Australia 2 1. But of course, the aforementioned uh, Marcus Rashford getting on the score sheet. Yeah, I was watching a bit of this as well. Um, yeah, England, you look. Know, you know, it's hard to call with England, but you know, at least they don't have as many egos now. I think it's probably it's not, it's not a bad thing that Jordan and uh, Lampard aren't there. As quality of players they were, they just couldn't play together in an English team. And um, it's going to be very good. But it's funny listening to Stephen Hobson. He gave a, it was actually funny. He gave a very good diplomatic answer. I'm a United fan, you know. The man up said anyway. He um, but England have a chance, don't they? They do have a chance, but of winning it out. But the reason I quote Stephen is he's saying we all know Rooney's going to start. But will he? I suppose he will. But you know, where, it, it comes out to the coach. And Hodgson, you know, as I've said here before he's on the podcast, up. you know, he's a conservative coach. He he will start right now. If we look at England team then, right? If we call it out here now, right? If you're looking at the midfield, we're gonna to have to start Milner, I'd say, someone in front of the back four, do you think? Mm-hmm. We're gonna to have to start Delali, won't yeah. you? For yeah. his creative stuff, right? Will, will you start Wilshire? No. No, he probably won't. So Rooney'd be in there, right? That's your But you're saying Rooney now is a number ten, yeah? Not yeah. as a striker. Yeah. So then with, with Vardy and so maybe Harry Kane up front. You're probably I think Barry might do as well, you know. Okay, so yeah, yeah. it's like you're gonna. It's, I think you have to start Del Ali and you have to start Harry Kane. Okay, right? yeah, yeah. That, So you're gonna have. Are you gonna have two? Create. I think Rooney might play. You know, I'd say Del Ali will be kind of the the link between the back four and up front. You know, it's. I don't know. What, what, what do you make it? Who's going to be in the England team? Or? Wayne Rooney will be in the England team. Yeah. You know, Wayne Rooney will, 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 will captain that team and he will play up front, slightly behind Harry Kane. I don't think Vardy will make it. I think it'll be. I think that's the way he'll go. He'll play yeah. Rooney up there. But uh, don't be um, surprised to see Wayne Rooney coming back into midfield You know, when he's needed. I still think Rooney should start, to be honest with you, because I still, he got two men in the matches there in a row and Rooney, all right, he might be banging in the goals, but he's still, you know, he's, tur- he's 30 years old now. He's still got a. He's still a very good player, and he knows how to play the game. He's got a wise head for it. He's got the experience. He's the captain. But um, yeah, I, I'd I'd still start Rooney. But the only concern I would have is is there room in the team for him because there's still a lot of quality players at home. They've got a great squad. They take on Portugal in a in a friendly, and um, Wales take on Sweden. Uh, the North are playing um, Slovakia, and Ireland are playing Belarus. Yeah. Oh, these are these are the last games before tournament football. Yeah, well, we got we got four tickets actually. If you're following us on social media for Ireland in Turner's Cross and tomorrow night, 
Um, better roofs, yeah. When you said Northern Ireland beat them 3 0 the other night, should yeah. we expect Northern to beat better roofs as well? It's funny, I see Northern Ireland after flying over today, they've gone very early, but I think they're playing um, I think they're playing a game over there as well while they're at it. Which is, if I personally, if I was the manager, I wouldn't be going till the last minute because it is a well, I suppose it's not like rugby, it's 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 football, you know, it can be over in a week, I suppose, you know. But is um, just looking at the Belarus game for Ireland, is Martin O'Neill's team picked? Does he have any slots up for grabs or is the, is the squad finalised now? I'd say it's finalised. I'd say Kevin Doyle's probably going to miss out, you know. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, Robbie Keane will go. I think Shane Long has to be our, oh. has to be our striker. He's in form as well. Yeah, but I don't know why he didn't even start in the qualifiers for a lot of them, you know. It was fairly odd. I think, um, yeah, you're looking at midfield, yeah, I'd say Glenn Whedon. McCarthy, McLean. What about, about McGeady? Aidan McGeady, you know, has a, had a very troubling time um, at club level, yeah. but Martin O'Neill, you know, always has him in the squads. Will he go? I'd say he will, because it, to be fair to McGeady, he's actually a very good, he, he is a very good creative player, you know, and that's what we need, because, right, Martin O'Neill might go with a system uh, when we're playing, but say if we go goal down, we might need someone to turn the game, and McGeady is someone that can certainly do that. Didn't he score that goal against, was it... Who did he score? He scored, he scored some great goals for Ireland anyway. I can't remember he scored a brilliant one there when we needed him one time in the qualifier. But uh, yeah, it be, look, as I said, surely we won't be as bad as the last Euros, you know. That was that was a disgrace, you know. That was like, terrible stuff. It was. Like, I think Trapattoni, he did his job. He qualified us for a major tournament and I think he was very happy with that. But I think with Keane and O'Neill at the helm, we definitely won't be getting baitings. If we, if we, if we don't, if we lose out in qualifying, I'll go to that tournament with our head says, oh, yeah, I'll go fair enough. Because if you look at the three teams in our group, we still do have Italy, Sweden, and um, Italy, Sweden, and Belgium. They are three quality teams, whatever way you look at it. But that doesn't mean we should lie down and just take it. Like, you know, we should go fighting. Yeah, so Matt O'Neill will uh, name his team um, after the Belarus game. You're available for a late call-up if you if you want to, yeah? Well, I was always a good goalie in my day, so <laughs> yeah, I, I'll do a job. Very good. Well, let, let, let's switch codes now to the Oval Ball, and we've got to talk about um, Connacht, because they have won the Pro 12. It's their first victory in 131 years of playing rugby, that they've never won anything, and they've won yeah. something. And it's been a phenomenal achievement from that. Jeez, you're full of the stats, Zane. Like, like a good you know, stat. I tell you. But that's... I know, look, to be honest with you, I saw some of the jokes on social media. I think the only one that was shouting for Leinster uh, were people from Dublin, you know, at the weekend. I think the whole of Ireland, even parts of Leinster, were shouting for uh, Connacht at the weekend. And it was massive. I was, I was delighted to see it. And uh, whatever about being Connacht, I was saying to you off the air, I don't agree with this playoff stuff. Yeah. I think if you top the league, that should be it. You should be the champions in that, like you know. So, but um, but speaking about the rugby, um, there were some very good performances. Tiernan O'Halloran had a great game of full back at all. Um, kind of overshadowed Rob Carney, but didn't he? Yeah, he did. You know, He's, I think I think Rob has had his injury problems. There's a few players there, and they get they get looked over when it comes to when it when it comes to Ireland selection. I think. Um, Alton Delan, I thought he had a great oh, game. He's had a brilliant season, yeah. Yeah, yes, and um, I think, yeah, I think they did struggle a bit, right, in the scrum. To be fair, uh, Leinster's tired when he came on. He came on for Mike Ross. I can't think his name now again, but he he's only twenty three. He looks like a very good player. He he had a good game. Uh, Robbie Hinshaw, you know, we have to talk about him a small bit because <clears throat> that's hilarious in what the Leinster now after all this happened, like you know. Like I still, you wonder, it's not too late to do a U-turn, is it? You know? <laughs> he, won't, he won't. Yeah, but it's um, it's bad for me, really, because it looks like they're building something there. 
And I think a quick word as well for Pat Lamb, who seems to impress me the whole time. He had his couple fuckle after the game, and um, he even mentioned, like, I love that. He, he knows what he's doing. He named all the provinces, you know. Well, talk talk to me about Lamb, yeah. like, just... You know, this achievement is is obviously, as we said, it's it's unsurpassed. But what has he brought? What has he brought to the province? Well, I think if you go to any club, be it in any sport, you have to adapt to the culture as well. You know, I think to be fair to uh, to Mourinho, we're listening to him there last week. Yeah, he's talking about how Old Trafford has a a special thing that no other club can match. You know, he's he's adapting to it already. I think Pat Land, he's. He's adapted to it and all that. But what about all that? Let's say we won't say crap, right? But what about all that, right? Of adapting to it, right? You have to be a good coach to it at the end of the day. And Pat Lamb, he obviously is a very good coach and he's done his homework on teams. And, you know, like, let's be honest, uh, a year, two years ago, you don't have to go that far back. Connacht, they'd always, they'd always get a few wins or whatever, but they'd always disappoint you. You know, there'd always be one or two hammerings a year to get hammered by or they'd always fitter off during the end, but this has been constant hard work, you know, and uh, it's been a long time coming, you know, because, uh, and that's not, uh, a big shout out to the RFU as well, uh, 10 years ago they wanted to scrap them, you know, yeah. but uh, they did though, remember, like, everyone remembers it, right? yeah. they yeah. wanted to make it three professional teams in Ireland, and uh, luckily enough, uh, Connacht are still here, so, you know, the West is awake, it is, uh, oh, I like that one, that's yeah. really good, uh, with another, I suppose interesting stat is Connacht had 41 test caps in their side versus Leinster had 464 test caps. So it's a massive gulf, but it just goes to show, you know, sport to sport, and any team can beat any team on the day. And it's just brilliant for them to get this victory. Yeah, but I think that says a lot about, um, I think that says a lot about the Connacht team um, being overlooked as well as a lot of Connacht players, you know. I think there are, I think Tierno Hallam, as I said, He's a very good player and he hasn't got any looking really. I know he got called into a few caps, camps, but he didn't. He didn't get looked at. Uh, I think there's a young player there now, Sean O'Brien, who looks very good as well. Came on for Connacht off the bench. Um, he's only nineteen, twenty. I'm hoping he gets a look as well. You know, it is very similar to the Leicester story in a way because you look at Alton Delaney. He he only got he was deemed surplus to requirements at Munster. Then he went on to college in Connacht and then. Now he's been a success with Connacht, so definitely it's a great story all around. And I just hope can they build on it? Can yeah. they build on this? I, I can they IRFU support them? Yeah, I think they should, and I think I th- I hope that they do build on it. But you know they're going to have to look at you know their stadium is a disaster. You know the sports ground is ten thousand. I think that's owned by the they share that with the Greyhound Stadium in Galway. Don't get me wrong, I I actually think it's a genius idea that they're utilising the facilities, right? But I think. The Greyhound and Galway and the rugby should put their money together and they should build a, an even bigger stadium and the RFU should help them out with building that and if the GA have to help them out with Dr. Hyde Park or whoever for a year so be it like you know mm-hmm. but um, I think uh, yeah I think I think Connacht should build on what they're after doing and uh, no look it's, it's great it's yeah. been a long time coming yeah congratulations to everyone um associated with Connacht and in Connacht because it was just a yeah. phenomenal victory and they, they certainly deserve it. Saracens, they've won the English Premiership. Did they deserve it? Yeah, but watch this now. It's luckily enough, we have, for everyone anything else, we have BT in our house. <laughs> but it was, uh, I, yeah, it was, at one stage it looked like they were going to run away with it. Uh, Exeter, they didn't do themselves proud at all. They, they started off very poorly. 
it looked like it was going it to took be. Took them a, a while to get into it. Yeah, it looked like it was going to be a hammer. But then, luckily enough, they scored a try with minutes to go, and then I think that made it twenty-seven, twenty or something, and then it was game on again. But then, Saracens just came down the other end of the pitch and scored. But one thing I'm delighted with for Saracens as well is that a lot of English sides they always show promise and they fall off. Saracens have been building this. I remember they got to the the European Cup final a few times and uh, they got beat by Toulon, you know, and a lot of lesser sides would fall away from that, but they haven't, they've kept building it, and, uh, you know, they had, uh, Owen Farrell had a great game at Old Half again, they have Chris Ashton on the wing, who, once again, Eddie Jones keeps ignoring, who, you know, you might say about his swan dives and his cockiness, but he is actually a very good player, Chris Ashton, and, um, yeah, look, I think, everyone goes on about Connacht, but, you know, I know it's a lot easier for Saracens because they had the money and all that, but they had to build that up too, you know. And, you know, when you look at the great sides like Leicester and London Wasps and stuff, they're after, they're not as strong as they were. And uh, Saracens are after, you know, they're after, Saracens are always a good club though too. I remember, geez, do you remember they had the, what's the name of the, the flanker that won South Africa the World Cup in 95? His name escapes me. There was a film made about him. He went to Saracens. And who else went to Saracens? There was a few big... Didn't keep wood there with Sar oh no, there was Harrikans he played with. You know, Saracens uh, have had a few big notable players, they've always been a big club. But thankfully now they've I think the the if you want to consider yourself a big club, you have to win European glory. Mm-hmm. And thankfully they've done that. But they've done the double. So, yeah. you know, as you said, they've been building it for so long. Yeah. And they're another club now they're gonna want to improve on this, aren't they? They're only the fifteenth to do a, a double at the domestic and European, so I think I, I suppose Leinster or another. I don't think Munster ever actually did it. The double, but they're definitely. I, I think just uh, Saracens are here for uh, the long term. But the thing about the English Premiership is it's actually very competitive as well. To be fair, you know, and uh, it's not like it's like Rabo is competitive, but I think the English Premiership is another level again. And um, you know, it's who knows what way it can go. You know? Yeah, England. They took care of Wales twenty-seven thirteen as well over the weekend. They did, and uh, it's funny. Eddie Jones, he can get very ratty. I was listening to him today uh, on Sky Sports News. He was saying, basically, people were saying about George Ford, how his kicking was horrendous. And it was horrendous, like, you know, but Eddie Jones took um, took offence to it and said, uh, and said to a man, he said, look, we're, why are we, we're after getting a great victory against Wales and why are we taking issue with George George Ford when he's actually all over there, was good, but he's kicking. But that's definitely a concern, his kicking, but I can understand just arguments to both points but England they were very good I, I like the looks of Courtney Laws I think he's a great player they put him in the second row I'm not sure he's the second row he's more he's more lethal in the back row but some of the hits he put in he he, off, he handed off one of the Welsh players there to get in there but again it's um, whatever you listen to the Sky Sports still high bending up it's, it's still at the end of the day it was only it wasn't as much as, you know, like the, the summer tours now where they're going, I think they're playing Australia. They're going to Australia, yeah. Yeah, like they're proper tests. I think this was, like this was still a test, but it was more to get the two teams warmed up for going down under. You know, yeah. I think it was to sell seats too, but uh, it wasn't like a Six Nations game, we'll say, but it was definitely a good win for England. And, uh, yeah, job yeah they, they head off to Australia. Ireland go to South Africa yeah. in June for a, for a tour as well. Three tests out there. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, you know. But I wouldn't fear that, you know. I, I think, um, you know, gone are the days where Ireland go down to the Southern Hemisphere. Absolutely shit, it's like, you know. I think, uh, I think we can go down there now with. Um, I know. I think 
I think Ireland will be looking to win the first test, you know, and then uh, we'll see what happens after that. But, um, yeah, let's see what happens. It's, it's going to be interesting in the summer um, from the, the tours. You know, those, those tours, they can take on a life of their own sometimes. They can get very, very interesting. And it depends, I suppose, I don't know how teams take it. Yeah, I think, I still think you know, what will happen on those tours again, though, is a lot of players will have half a foot in the play and they go on holidays again. Right. You know, like, you want about football being a long season, yeah? Rugby is way more physical and it's a horrendously long season, you know? Mm. Like, I think, in my opinion, rugby should be a universal season at this stage, you know? I don't think there should be any summer tours. I think they should be done. Take a break? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the summer tours should go on. It should be set, like, you know? The reason we're having these summer tours is to accommodate the Southern Hemisphere teams so they're warmed up for the rugby championship in August, September, yeah? I don't, I don't think it should be done that way because... Their system is the opposite to us down under, like you know. I think interesting, uh, but that's that's a bigger question. Interesting. We may touch on that again, though. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just going to jot that down and right. make a note of that, right? Oh, we may come back to it. Now, yeah. in sport, I think um, you know sometimes you do see people realize their dreams, and what we've seen with Tony Bellew yeah. at the weekend was he became a world champion, and his interview after was absolutely brilliant yeah, yeah. because the passion that he had you know, that he had realised something that he had worked for all his life. And it was a fantastic achievement for him and a good fight as well. Yeah, sure, he's an Evertonian. He's not what you call it, but and he was singing the club song and he got to be hug off the club president and everything afterwards. It was great. Like not Stuff just, that dreams are made of. Yeah, like you know. what he's after, like he's after coming back and doing that for his club. You could see the club president of Everton was absolutely delighted for him because, you know, when they're after sending out a stadium, Again, at the end of May, you know, like when when do you ever do that? Like his premiership's over, but getting back to the fight, he knocked him out in the third round. Makubu was a good fighter too, you know. Yeah. He had a lot of pedigree coming in. Yeah, but it's it was definitely it was brilliant. You know, it's amazing. Like British boxing is definitely a very exciting time at the moment. You know, yeah. I saw a tweet there earlier today of all the British boxers now that have their world titles. You got Joshua, you got Fury, you got Tony Bellew. Now, you know, it's it's definitely very exciting, but. Um, I suppose what's next now for Tony Bellew? I don't know, you might know more in the boxing than myself, but will he go up away now or what will he do? I think it's possible. I, again, with these things, it's all about the money, you know. Yeah. Um, um, the fact that he is now um, a WBC uh, world title holder gives him great credence, you know, and great yeah. pulling power as well. So it's uh, with these things, it's all about the money, you know, and whether he moves up or not, we don't know. But what he will want to do is definitely uh, try and defend that yeah. in Goodison Park again, you know. Yeah. Um, but they have, I think there was 17,000 at the fight. All singing his name, you know, it was a great crowd and, you know, it's just a, a fantastic achievement for him. Yeah, it was. No, As I say, a boyhood dream realised. You know what my boyhood dream is? Appearing on Ben Thomas podcast. Is that your boyhood dream? Yeah, I do it once a week, it's fantastic. Yeah, no. So let's... <laughs> one, uh, one final point I'd like to say to you before we let you go, yeah. before we let it go. Uh, I don't know, should we give this any airtime, but we will. Do you see Mayweather put up a post on his social media account again of Mayweather first? It's turned into a farce, isn't it? I, I, I just don't even want, know what to say about this because yeah. it's just totally ludicrous. I think it's um, it's about maybe the two lads are trying to hype something else, you know, yeah, that yeah. Uh, obviously McGregor is trying to get back into the UFC fold. Uh, Mayweather probably has another fight um, coming up because he's at 49 and he'll definitely go to 50 to try and get the, that, that nice round 50, um, 50 wins. But, you know, as you say, does it even deserve airtime at this stage, you know? Yeah, no, it's a joke, right? And then the other thing is, um, yeah, you're on about that, but... Jeez, uh, my thought escapes me now. But like, oh yeah, um, this Sylvester Sloan, Rocky himself, his quote last week though, he said it would be uh, <laughs> if Mayweather fought uh, McGregor, it would be 
organized suicide or something. I can't remember what he said, but he did. He said he'd murder him, like, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rocky said that himself, like, yeah, you know. I think maybe he's, trying, maybe he's involved in the promotion or something. He probably, he's, he's probably getting a few quid He's probably trying to hype it up himself from yeah. this side, you know, so you never, never know. Would you love to see it happen, though, would you? Ah, you know, I, I think it, it would just be something like... Uh, the wrestling, you know, yeah, it's yeah. something just a kind of a circus, really, wouldn't it? Uh, I'm sure, I mean, there's no way McGregor could box him. Yeah, but like, I'd, I'd love to see it, you know, because I <laughs> would you, would you, sorry, would you love to see I'd it? I'd love to, like, it'd be, <laughs> well, it'd be great for us, like, yeah, you know, yeah. but I'd love to see it because, like, I know if it is, uh, oh, it should be supporting the Irish, you know, but I'd love to see, like, McGregor can see all he wants, right? At the end of the day, Diaz did kick shit and throw back, you know, yeah. and I'm sorry to say, but. I hope we don't, like, I'm a big fan of McGregor, but, you know, I still question the way he left that, you know, like, the way he, you know, he didn't, uh, he said, I can understand he's got a point that he didn't want to do all these media duties. Oh, yes. He yeah. wore a lock at his door and stuff, you know, but at the end of the day, why didn't he fight Diaz, you know, he could have, did he walk that around that he, he knew that the UFC hands would be tight, that he'd have to call the fight or what, like? Well, know? it's interesting. I think I think he's met with Dana White and he's yeah. met with UFC representatives after. So, I mean, his next move now is going to be really interesting. Does yeah. he drop back down? Because Jose Aldo is fighting at 200 because against Frank, Yeager, Frank yeah. Yeager, but and he could fight one of them. But, you know, everyone was on, like, you can, whatever, everyone has their op different opinions about Mayweather, right? But yeah. whatever you say about him, he is one of the best boxers ever, and he's undefeated, isn't he? Yeah. Like... You can't hit him. Like, McGregor, you can't say the same for him. He got beat, like, you know. And, you know, if McGregor's on about fighting Mayweather, why isn't he on about fighting Mayweather? You know? That's what I'd say, you know? <laughs> well, he's not as big a name, maybe, perhaps, yeah. uh, on the world stage. Oh, isn't he when he beat him, right? You know? Yeah, it's a, look, it's because, an interesting you know, point. McGregor knows how to play the game. It's yeah. all about mode as well. Like, he is, he, you know, there's no one like him to, to, to promote a fight yeah. um, and to hype it up. And, you know, he, he did that so successfully. The, the Diaz question is very interesting, and that's why his next move, his next move in UFC, you know, okay, does he stay up at that weight fight Diaz and, yeah. and, and put him out to bed, or does he does he drop down for a world title fight against either Rando or, or Frank Diaz? It's going to be interesting to see what happens. But listen, thanks very much for uh, joining us on the Bench Warmers podcast. Never thank you very much. Uh, for, and uh, we, you're, you're going to break news that you're going to be you're going to be leading Mayweather into the ring against that fight against McGregor. Yeah, well, yeah I'm going to be the ringer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave it with that image. Yeah, 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 yeah.